Welcome to Simple But Not Easy, a mindfulness podcast. I'm your host, Paul Danger. In today's episode, we meet Famia Hampton. Famia is a community manager and a social impact advisor with unique experience in health and wellness, technology, and education industries. She is also a seasoned educator with over 15 years of experience. Her journey has empowered her to craft enriching learning experiences that truly connect with a wide range of individuals. Famia is a traveler, a foodie, a baker, a bookworm, and a lover of all things nature-related. Please enjoy this discussion with Famia on her mindfulness journey. Famia, thank you. I've enjoyed all of our past conversations, and now we get to actually put something out there in the world on the topic of mindfulness. So thank you for joining me today. Yeah, well, thank you, Paul, for having me. I'm super excited, and I was looking forward to having this conversation with you. Let's talk about your your mindfulness journey, and so where do you want to begin that discussion? Ooh, well, let's let's kind of take a step back, Paul, into my mindfulness journey when I wasn't practicing mindfulness. I like that. Yeah, so for me, I always like to give people a little bit of a story of how I actually started it and where I was before I even entered that space. For me, it was when I hit rock bottom, when I left the world of teaching and I had been in a very toxic workspace and I was completely and utterly burned out to the point I didn't recognize myself anymore. Wow. Near. I yeah. had to really evaluate myself, but really evaluate the people around me because, you know, it's almost a slap in the face how when you don't see the person you used to recognize in that mirror, like, who is this girl? Who is Famia? Mm. What, is she, what is she about? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does she want to do with her life after leaving teaching? Because I tied my identity very much to being a teacher. Okay. So leaving that 15 plus year career that was very much tied to my identity because that's what I was taught. That was the only thing that I could do. I was like, I don't know who she is. And I had to hit rock bottom, Paul, to really figure Mm. out who for me is. And that took a lot of kind of just setting boundaries around people, family, Mm -hmm. friends, and really kind of sitting with myself and says, who is she? Mm. What are her values? What does she want to center on? Because I lost all of it. Wow. All sense of purpose. So it was in that moment, two years that I had to take to really kind of sit with myself and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And Mm -hmm. I needed to to be around people that understood what it was like to leave a long-term career, but also understood what it was like to kind of lose a sense of their identity identity. So I had to do a lot of journaling, a lot of meditative practices that involved prayer, um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of exercising to release the stress, physical exercise, mental exercise, finding people that would serve as a community of support for me too, that understood that. So I had to hit rock bottom to figure out what it was like. And when I did, I started getting into more of the mindfulness pieces, really listening to my feelings, what that was like, because I was very much suppressing a lot of those burned out feelings and ignoring it, thinking Mm -hmm. that it would all go away. But when I took that break, it was literally a volcano. (laughs) of emotions that erupted. I'm like, and I didn't know how to cope with those feelings. I would ignore them thinking they would disappear, but they would not disappear. And I knew I was in a bad place at that time. And going through that journey, I just 
really had to think about what would work for me. More prayer, more meditative pieces, again, the journaling and just sitting with myself, having those very still, very calm moments of what it would look like for Mia when she was trying to find her purpose again and what that meant to me. Wow. If we can go a little deeper on the meditation portion of that, what did your meditation look like? What sort of practices did you do, call upon? I was doing, you know, in the Islamic faith, I was doing the five prayers a day. So that was really kind of pulling myself out of all the craziness and the noise. So that was more like five, 10 minutes of really just sitting with myself, praying, and just really kind of owning the feelings that I was having, whether I was upset, I was angry, I was sad, just naming them, giving a name to the fact that it's okay for me to be upset today. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be sad Mm. and just lead with grace um, Mm. is what I kept reminding. Be patient. The way you treat your loved ones, I need you to bring that back to yourself too. What a wonderful structure I'm hearing with those five touch points throughout the day when you were feeling Mm -hmm. almost like deconstructing yourself Mm -hmm. to have that container that I don't know how many folks give themselves that sort of gift. And it sounds like your lineage, your tradition that was readily available to you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the way it was structured, Paul, is sunrise to sunset. So I had those structured pieces throughout the day that when I was so up in my head and it was just very chaotic, I kind of gravitated more to prayer and meditative practices. And also being in nature that kind of helped me kind of pull away from the noise and the chaos that was happening around me in my environment and kind of being in my own space with myself first, because a lot of people can tell you what you need and should do. It's what speaks to Femia, um, what feels yeah. good, what are my values, and not what everybody else is telling me, because that was exactly what was happening. Femia, do this, do that, you should do that. And I'm just like, that doesn't align with me. I sure. need to yeah, speak yeah. to what does. And prayer and meditative practice is exactly what it did. Morning, midday, and evening kind of centered mm-hmm. me and kind of humbled me. Oh, say more about that, that humbling piece. I mean, I was hit with a lot of levels of humbleness, Paul, and it was just (laughs) a reminder that I just needed to pull back a lot and being thankful and showing gratitude for those Mm -hmm. small moments. Not everything was meant for me. And that was Mm. something that I had to think about a lot. And not everybody was meant for for me and for me is not meant for everyone. And that was very humbling. So I did have to cut off some ties with people that no longer served me. And that really humbled me. And I'm just like, oh, this doesn't feel good right. right now. But I know that letting go of what doesn't serve me. And after seeing that felt so darn good afterwards. I'm like, okay, okay. cutting out the negative ties is what I was doing. Right. Not, and it wasn't easy. So for anyone listening to this, it was not easy. (laughs) (laughs) Not easy. No, simple but not easy, as the Mm -mm. title goes. In the sense of giving yourself that quietness through prayer and through meditation, and how often we don't do that, and that you made that a priority for yourself, and and our go, go, go society, and really hearing the benefit of this, this quiet time, that could be scary too, I imagine, though. Maybe that's the reason we stay so busy is to avoid that quiet time. So how did you find prayer and meditation supporting you in, in stepping into that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of step back and come back into this question. So I was very much, I don't know if trained is the right word for it, but it was put, set in my head that... I needed to be busy all the time to be productive. 
and okay. meaningful. Yeah. That's what it was stuck in my head. And we, what I was taught from previous work experiences that being busy was a good thing okay. and it meant being productive. But it got to a point, Paul, where I was doing so much multitasking mm-hmm. that I wasn't focused on just one. I was doing several things at one time and I was missing the key components, Mm -hmm. the attention to detail because of all these moving parts happening at one time. I had to kind of pull back and I had to teach myself that being productive also means being still, being Mm. calm and taking Mm -hmm. care of yourself. So I call it self-care productiveness. Hmm. And I lost track of what that meant to show myself self-care. And I had to learn to do that because I was doing so much for other people that I lost sense of me and what that looked like. So self-care was something that I had to teach myself. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't easy. It was always do, do, do for others, which I love to serve people, but it wasn't helping me in filling my cup. So the prayer meditative piece kind of taught me that you need to pause, take breaks, take care of yourself. This is your time because you're no good to others if you don't take care of yourself first. And we forget that. We feel guilty, Paul. Very true. Yeah. Of taking care of ourselves. Mia wants to go on vacation. She feels guilty. Why? Because others can't do it. But I'm like, I can do this. This is me taking mm-hmm. care of myself in a different mm-hmm. way that's different than others. My sister a, was a former teacher. And so I get the, and I have a dear friend, actually my oldest friend ever from first grade was a school teacher. And I do get this sense of being a teacher, I think really reinforces that go, 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 20 things at once. Your day doesn't stop when the school day ends. Mm-hmm. Your willingness to, in a sense, confront that and make this space for yourself. And I, I know sometimes people find that they know to do it, but they find that transition hard to do. How did you make it okay to make time for for meditation, for prayer, for self-care? How did you make that shift? Well, I I hit rock bottom, Paul. (laughs) Oh, well, I guess there you go. (laughs) I Sadly, I hit rock bottom. I had to fall so many times and keep hitting my head in the wall and make those mistakes over and over again until I said, something's got to give. I've got to do something. So I had to figure it out for myself. I mean, you can have people telling you to do something over and over again, but it isn't until you accept the fact that no good is coming out of not serving yourself and not giving yourself the self-care and love and compassion that you need until you have a wake-up call. So my burnout phase was my wake-up call that I'm burning out and I'm not focused and I'm not where I want to be until I had to snap out of it. And I said, I just need to do more meditative practices to help me see what I'm not seeing in this cloud of smoke and chaos. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping there's other people that are resonating with what you're saying that maybe they're on the downward slide oh. and hearing your wise words and experience that maybe not have to slide all the way down. And this being more mindful, right? Being more aware. And I knew these triggers, Paul, like I knew I was falling into a rabbit hole but mm-hmm. it's like, I'm ignore it. It'll be better tomorrow. I'm ignore it. I knew that like it was in the back of my mind, but there's a point of fear that comes into place and then being stuck. I know I need to go there, but I don't know how to jump over or step over. It's the fear factor that really got me. It's the being stuck, not having clarity, not knowing where I'm going to go. It's the fear of the unknown that literally trapped me. The known may mm-hmm. be damaging, but it's known. Yeah. as opposed to the scary of the unknown. The variety of practices you called upon of journaling, prayer, meditation, time in nature, you found your mix mm-hmm. to take you where you needed to go. And that's been a theme with these episodes of there's no one way to do mindfulness. 
Mm-mm. And sometimes that's what people get stuck. They have a teacher say, do it this way. And then for some reason it doesn't work. And mm-hmm. your willingness to really look at several different ways of encouraging this presence. And it sounds like it was really the combination that worked for you. It wasn't any one thing. And it was also being in a space, Paul, where I could just be, be me, right? And because I lost that, I didn't know what that looked like. So I had to discover what that would look like for me because the whole, you should do this, you should do that doesn't work for everybody. We're not fit in the same container. Right. We're different people with different emotions. We do feel the same emotion, but we feel it in the in a different way. And I think finding a space that allows you to express that without mm-hmm. judgment, without labels, without assumptions is so important to create a safe mm-hmm. space. And people are scared to show up as themselves. And some people are still discovering what that looks like for them. And that's where journaling came through for me is okay. I just let everything out. And I started to notice patterns. I'm like, oh, there she is judging herself. I'm a recovering perfectionist, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Overthinker. Welcome to the club. And I'm, so, and I'm okay to say that I am. And it was when I accepted it, Paul, that things started to turn for me. And I will be like, oh, recovering perfectionist here, overthinker Mm -hmm. here, because I gave it a name. I labeled and I I named it and I said, this femia is overthinking. This is perfectionism. And I've learned to be okay with making mistakes. I proudly Mm -hmm. own them now. And I've accepted it. And that's a part of my vulnerability that I I love and mm-hmm. it helps me and it helps others. You no, know, you do make me think about this being state that I'm hearing was key to your healing and that it is a vulnerable place to be. And maybe that's what's scary for folks sometimes, the, the power of vulnerability. And I think about actually Brene Brown comes to mind and how much of her mm-hmm. work is, especially like teaching executives that you can be a better leader if you let yourself be vulnerable and how Absolutely. you so embrace that in your healing journey. Absolutely. And there was a clip on with Brene Brown and she was actually on Oprah Winfrey. It talked about recovering perfectionism in general. And I was like, is she talking to me? (laughs) Because I can relate to this. And it talked about the shame uh, Mm. that goes on behind it and the fear of saying, I need help. I need support. Because Paul, I was one that did not ask for help at all. I was so ashamed of saying, I need help. Can you please support Mm -hmm. me? I felt like Mm -hmm. I needed to know everything. But it was when I started to own my vulnerability and accept where I was and that I could not do everything because that's what society kind of tells everybody. Got to know everything or hit the ground running. No, right? we're humans. Mm -hmm. We're not going to hit the ground running. We still need support regardless. And that's something that I try to push through into community spaces is people need hope. And it does not mm-hmm. make you any less worthy of the next person in front of you, beside you, or behind you. We're human. Mm-hmm. We need help. We need support. All these so-called standards, they need to really be worked on and broken and redone and fixed. And that's why some people struggle. Well, and that's what I'm hearing your journey was. You're like going from identity of teacher to this identity <laughs> of human being. And and all the all the wonders and all the the, the messiness of that, and you had a chance to not only embrace it but begin to see that that's where your power and strength lie. It taught me a lot, and I don't regret my teaching journey at all because for me, yeah. it it paved the way for me to get where I am today. All everything I've learned, the knowledge, the lessons, the kids that humbled me, really just kind of 
put me into the path that I'm in today. So I needed those mistakes to happen. I needed those failures, those falls to get me here. And it's what's helped me build the community that I have today and to be more aware and to be more in tune with the Mm -hmm. people that are around me. Because at the end of the day, we all want to feel supported and heard and connect Mm -hmm. with other humans. We have feelings, we have emotions and we need mm-hmm. to learn to kind of remove that stigma that's put on mental health too. Yeah. Oh, we're allowed, so we're allowed bad days. <laughs> 20 times over. Yeah. What does your mindfulness practice or practices look like these days that you're doing? So these days it starts off with stretching and exercising I and mean, give me the space that I need to start off okay. my day. And then a prayer is the other one, the meditative practice. And then after that, it's the journaling, the gratitude journaling. And and that really humbles me that I'm blessed to have the things that I have today. And it always kind of puts me back in the mindset as my not so good day is a blessing for somebody else who does may not have what I have. And mm. that really, I go back and I read those. I know today was a really crappy day, but that could be somebody else's really good day. Mm-hmm. Be thankful for what you have and keep those in mind. Being mindful and being aware that we're all allowed not so good days. But at the same time, look for the blessings and be grateful for the things that you do have. Well, we are recording this in November. So what a great month to be reminded oh, yeah. of, yeah. of the practice of gratitude. Yeah. For me, I find it even just talking with you, there's this calm presence that I just naturally feel invited into mm-hmm. and, and hoping that that comes through to the listeners around that the possibility of finding this grounded space and then coming from there allowing us to be present in the world in a different way Mm -hmm. that I think the world really needs right now. Recognizing that we need more people like you that have gone through the the dark night of the soul, I think is the poetic way of speaking to it, Mm -hmm. but have walked that path and come out the other side. That not only is it possible to come out the other side, but how to come out stronger. And I'm a firm believer, and I'm always going to put it in my head that there's always going to be more love than there is going to be hate. And just a gentle reminder for all of us that Let's continue to lead with kindness and grace that we don't know what the person in front of you on the side or behind you is going through. I had a really, really sweet encounter, Paul, on my plane ride back home. I am a sucker for quotes and phrases (laughs) on cups, t-shirts, you name it. And because they speak to me, they're very Mm -hmm. therapeutic for me and a reminder And I have the sweater that says on the front, you are enough. And then on the back, it says something around whoever's reading this. I just want to know that the world is a better place with you in it. Love the person in front of you. A security officer seen me and he just smiled. I looked at him and I knew because I forgot what I was wearing. I was like, wait, it's not in my sweater. (laughs) And then a conversation started. He's like, I really like your sweater. He had seen that you are enough. And then I was like, what? look at the back and he just <laughs> and then we continued to have a conversation and he learned a cool. little bit about me I of him and then as I entered the plane I had seen another gentleman who was a priest and he just he smiled at me and I knew why <laughs> and I smiled back as I sat in my seat I had another gentleman approach me and he stopped on the plane before he sat down he's like I just want to say something and I'm like what do you want to say to me <laughs> And he's like, and he's like, thank you so much for wearing your sweater today. And Paul, he was like at the brink of tears. And he's like, Mm. those words on your sweater were so uplifting. I needed to read them today. And I was completely speechless. 
because I didn't expect him to stop me. I wear it because I want eyes to see it. Not for you mm-hmm. to stop me, which would be a pleasant surprise. Yeah, but yeah. it's like I need, I want people to see it and to be a reminder that we don't have to follow what everybody else is following. If we can just stay true to mm-hmm. who we are and whatever, however that looks like and lead with love and grace, people are attracted to that energy. So it's a reminder just to be good to yourself and be graceful. And I thanked him. He thanked me, but he totally made my day. I was just like, my gosh, that was the best way to end my plane ride was with this sweet word. In those moments with these encounters, you're both fully present mm-hmm. and taken out of that chatter in our head and and connecting with self and this other human and how you become, you know, I talk about mindfulness spells is an informal practice. Like if you commit to hearing a sound and then pausing and breathing and checking in, mm-hmm. your sweater is like a walking mindfulness bell that it yeah. took people out of whatever pain or suffering they were in or isolation and created a moment of, oh yeah. This is, this is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. This is what I need to remember. And each one of those encounters had that quality. And that's where I always come back to. Mindfulness is relational. It's yeah. not me, 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 and selfish. Thank you for you know being a, a walking reminder and an access point with that sweater. That's awesome. That's going to be my most worn sweater for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. More and more. <laughs> the thing's going to be threadbare, but that'll be a lot of smiling people out there. I'm curious, you've used a term a few times, and I'm always big on defining terms because I find that there's a further richness when we peel it back. And you've used the term grace several times. And I want to have your understanding of what is grace? How do you embody that? Well, I'll tell you what my definition of what grace isn't because I did it to myself. I was very harsh on myself. Again, because I'm a recovering perfectionist, I was my worst critic. Everybody could tell me, Fumia, you are doing such a phenomenal job. But Paul, I wasn't feeling it. I would criticize Mm. it. I would break it apart. And I would be like, okay, well, yeah, you're doing a good job, but it's not good enough. It's not great. And I would just go 110% and still that it was not good. And even when I was working out, I would look at myself in the mirror and be like, for me, you didn't get the pose correct. And it was a lot of affirming talks with myself. For me, it's okay. You'll try again next time. Or there's always tomorrow. Try it again. You're still doing a great job. So it was a lot of talking to myself and rewiring that mindset. And so for me, grace is learning to be okay, no matter what that looks like. My days of productiveness might be doing more one day and less on the other. It's showing myself self-care and and compassion and love in the midst of it, no matter what Mm. that looks. Even if I make mistakes, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's not a big deal. You're human. It makes you more human when you make mistakes. Yeah. And actually, I'm hearing within grace, it's bundling actually several of the mindfulness qualities that there's this acceptance of allowing who I am in this moment and what this moment is. There's Mm -hmm. patience, letting it unfold as it does, suspending judgment and striving. Your grace is like a mindfulness bundling Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad we teased that apart because I hear, and in so much of what you shared today, now that I hear your definition of grace, it all lines up as mm-hmm. an umbrella for this beautiful transition you've made. And I know grace is one of those terms that's, that exist in different traditions, how you've leaned into it as a way to support yourself through the hard times and the vulnerability. Again, it's just, it's just another variation on this theme of mindfulness can look many different ways. 
but there are these common touch points that exist through how everyone is embodying it and living it. And I've learned, Paul, too, that I'm I'm not going to be perfect. Sometimes even hearing the word of it looks so perfect makes me cringe <laughs> because of my experience <laughs> yeah, yeah, and what yeah. I've gone through. I'm like, ugh. Please don't use that word. Can we use another word of like doing my best, trying my best? Um, and I used to have people telling me, you're so perfect. I'm like, please. No. We, we don't, please don't use that word. No, it makes me cringe. You're like, why? And I'll give them bits and pieces of my story. And they're like, oh. And I was like, because when we put that perception of like, you are perfect, people yeah. feel like they have to keep striving and striving. That's never ending. And then it does yeah. something to their soul and their energy. I just want to be human. I want to be able to make mistakes. So for me, grace is making mistakes and being okay with it. I meant to make yeah, mistakes. Yeah. I meant to do it. I'm yeah. human. That's cool. <laughs> I, I I had a, a coworker many jobs ago. Their encourager response, perfect. Uh, like, yeah, I cringed. Like, can we just remove that word from the vocabulary? I, I get what your intention, but mm-hmm. your word choice for it, just it turned to me off every time. So I get, I, I love that. And I, you know, with my son, and I've mentioned before, he's on the autism spectrum. One of his traits is perfectionism. Either that or he got it from me. I don't know. Or maybe it's a, the poor kid had a bad combination there. We've really so much about mistakes are okay. Yeah. It, that they are just part of life. And so I really, what I see is by adding grace to mistakes are okay, it further empowers that perspective. And how many things have been discovered through a, a serendipitous mistake? You know, yeah, that, that would have been missed otherwise. Yeah. Because I've been an educator for so many years and I've worked with so many age groups over the number of years and I worked with adults, those moments of students humbling me really, really are a reminder that the wording yeah. and the language that we use in conversations, even though our intent is not to hurt someone, we have to be, be a bit more mindful of the language that comes off like, gotta be perfect. That really triggers somebody yeah. to do that. And I had a student, I'll never forget, I think it was something that was happening in the background with her family. They wanted her to be an A-plus student, yada, yada, yada. If she failed, she was not good enough. And I'll never forget, she had said to me word for word, I am a failure. And I was Mm. just like, oh, that was like a stab in the heart. And I just kind of teared after the call. I was like, and she's bawling and bawling and bawling her eyes out. She goes, I'm a failure. I'm a Mm. failure. And she kept repeating it to herself. And I was like, mm-hmm. I need to call him afterwards and kind of speak to her and speak to her guardian, kind of let them know what was happening. Yeah. That was a piece I had to be very mindful of really encouraging and motivating students to try their best, that mistakes mm-hmm. were allowed. Um, mm-hmm. And I wasn't grading them on their mistakes. I was looking to have them do trial and error, what worked best for them. Right. And, right. I, and I actually, Paul, would purposely make mistakes <laughs> on purpose because I yeah. needed them to see the modeling of the teacher is not perfect. She makes right. mistakes. And I even had students saying, Miss H, you made a mistake. I was like, oh, I did. Well, no yeah. big deal. Something okay. I can go back and fix. So yeah. it was like a lot of the the behaviors that I was putting into place. They didn't realize it, but I knew what modeling. I was doing. Modeling yeah. it. Yeah, we're all humans doing the best we can, stumbling and learning along the way. What uh, what would be your your closing message to our listeners about your journey and how mindfulness uh, played a role in that? Yeah. So if I did think for a tip for everyone, it would be definitely lead with grace. Mm-hmm. Start small. Focus on what works 
for you. And there is no one way to do something to kind of just build up on that. But no way is the right way. It's what works best for you and to continue leading with grace and compassion. And if you Mm. are wanting to start a mindfulness piece, maybe start with the breathing because it's a build on that. It's consistency. You're not going to get it right the first time. I don't. I'm still working on it. So because it's a practice, not perfect. Not perfect. (laughs) The word we're banning from here on out. (laughs) That should be your next episode, Paul. We are banning perfectionism. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Paul, for having me. Simple But Not Easy, a mindfulness podcast is produced by me, Paul Baker. And uh, thank you for putting up with my lack of technical skills. A huge thank you to my guests today for sharing their story and insights. And a thank you to Jacob Morrison, Juliana Castro, and Trevin Stiegel, my friends and mentors in how to make a podcast. I miss you guys. And Andrea Romack, who gave me my first podcast hosting experience at Psychum. And of course, thank you to my listeners for joining me on this journey along the path of waking up and being mindful together. If you find value in this podcast, please like, write a review, and share with your family and friends. Be well all until we meet again in our next episode.